Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the In Squash podcast. Uh, and today on the pod- podcast, we have our second uh, visit from one of the uh, prolific uh, coaches over at squashskills.com. We had uh, Jethro Bins on about a month ago, a great chat with Jethro. And uh, today, we have Gary Nisbet on the podcast. Uh, he's going to be telling us, talking to us about uh, strength and fitness training uh, in squash. Uh, he's the resident uh, guru on the Squash Skills website for strength and fitness training. Um, I spend uh, most of my time looking at that part of it on squash skills uh, as opposed to the technical side. I'm, I'm sure I'll get back into the technical uh, uh, part of squash skills uh, myself over over the next little while now that I've uh, re-upped on my membership there. Uh, but anyways, uh, Gary came uh, came on the show and we had a great chat. Uh, I think what I wanted to do in the beginning, though, I wanted to get a bit of his backstory just so we know who he is and where his squash uh, knowledge comes from. Um, and we do find out a bit about that. But uh, we spent most of our time looking at uh, strength and uh, talking about uh, training and fitness training, strength training, even diet. But we spent most of our time looking at uh, uh, talking about uh, strength and fitness training and all the ground that you can cover with that. There's so much ground you can cover. Uh, We didn't have enough time to really uh, uh, talk about everything. So we hope to have him on again in the future, perhaps with uh, Jethro, though he's a bit concerned that he won't get a word in uh, edgewise, as he mentioned uh, there on the podcast. But anyways... Today on In Squash Podcast, episode 28, Gary Nisbet uh, joined us. Enjoy the podcast. I'm delighted to have on uh, one of Squash, uh, uh, Squash Skills uh, resident strength, conditioning, and fitness training expert. Uh, he also has a, a, an extensive academic background in athletic conditioning and personal training. Gary Nisbet is on the podcast today, episode 25. Gary, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get started, Gary, I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big gym rat uh, myself. I'm a longtime squash player since a junior, so I've got plenty. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm 50 now, so um, uh, I'm, I'll try not to uh, be selfish and gear all, the, all of my questions towards uh, my own personal uh, thing. But um, let's, uh, let's start with a bit of background, though, if you don't mind, uh, uh, in terms of your squash. Uh, what's your squash background, uh, Gary, and uh, do you still uh, compete at all? Yes, I started playing uh, relatively late. I started when I was at school when I was about 16. Um, I always played football as well, so for for the first sort of five, six years, I was sort of playing both sports and gradually kind of moved away from football and played more squash. Um, so, yeah, I still play at a reasonable level. I compete in a few tournaments, and I think – Part of the, the the competing is to help make me a better coach. I think it's important as a coach, whether it's a, a technical coach or as a strength and conditioning coach, that you really understand the sport as well. So, yeah, one of the reasons that I still try and compete and play it as, as, as best a level as I can is to really make sure that I, you know, have as, as much experience with, with the sport as I can get. Yeah. And uh, I, I would imagine that you're, you're relatively fit uh, out there uh, when you're playing. Yeah, I've got no real excuses. Unfortunately, I've got to uh, I've got to make sure I stay in shape. So, uh, I mean, it's, again, it's I'm, I'm in a fortunate position that when I'm working with with a lot of the players that I work with, I'll often sort of join in the sessions as well. So, if I've got a circuit on, I've got with the pro boys down, then I'll often just work in as well. So, yeah, it, you know, I, I certainly try and keep in as, as good a shape as I can. 
that's uh, yeah, that, that that must be nice. Now, um, you got uh, your your you've become sort of uh, I guess famous in, in the squash world uh, lately, anyways, through uh, your your working with uh, squashskills.com. Um, how did you uh, become part of that that illustrious team, and uh, what has it been like working with uh, such an eclectic and prolific uh, group of uh, players and coaches like uh, they have on squash skills? Yeah, squash skills has been great. I've been them with with them for for a few years now. Um, I was already working in in squash with a few different players, um, and there was a mutual friend, a guy that was doing some work on the. Squash Skills website um, found out they were looking for someone to, to to bring some more strength conditioning aspects to the site. So they got in touch and originally I just did a few videos, a few articles and it expanded into more and more of a role until I became kind of part of the the core team now. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an honor for me to, to work alongside people with, with names like Peter Nichol and then you know, Jethro's been a, been a fantastic guy to, to get to know as well. And, and all the great players that we've had on and doing videos with and doing camps with it's, it's been a great experience. Yeah, do you, um, uh, now they do, they uh, have a lot of camps uh, going on these days. Do you participate in those with the, uh, uh, in terms of uh, your fitness training uh, and conditioning uh, stuff that you bring to the uh, to the company, yeah, we um, we always have a, an element of, of sort of fitness work, conditioning work on the camps. So we normally have myself and Jessica there as, as sort of the core squash skills guys, and then we'll have guest coaches in. So it's you know Jesse Engelbrecht, uh, Lee Drew, um, David Pearson, Paul Carter. So they will sort of leave the weekend. They'll have the sort of theme of, of what we're doing, and then I'll work in and you know take people through sort of warm ups, take them through mobility programs. I'll normally deliver some kind of a workshop as well. So we'll look at a specific area so we could do a little bit of work on speed or on power. Um, I'm not always the most popular person on the camp. I think a lot of people don't quite enjoy the, uh, the hard work aspect of it. But yeah, I, I think people, certainly those that are playing at a, a better level that come along to the camps, I think they're normally quite appreciative of, of you know, learning what the, the elite guys are doing as part of their conditioning training. Yeah, I was, I'm surprised you say that because, uh, I mean, nowadays, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the case, but uh, a lot of the, the young top guys out there, a guy like Paul Cole, for example, who's not afraid to, you know, advertise what he does uh, in the gym on, online. I mean, that, that kind of stuff really, it motivates me and I'm double his age to, to try that mm-hmm. stuff in the gym. Um, uh, don't don't you find that a lot of people now are maybe becoming more interested in the uh, the fit the gym side of things as opposed to uh, the on court you know the the technical side? Yeah, I think it's it's an understanding of of what we're trying to do. Certainly through through squash skills as well is you know I don't I don't see the point in just putting on a, a circuit for everybody and absolutely you know obliterating and wearing everybody out and then saying right that that's it because you know you don't really you don't really learn much from that and I think that's what people still see as as fitness being that you know they bring a, a trainer in and, and they'll take this horrific circuit that, that kills everybody you know I try and make the sessions I do more educational I think you know just doing a one-off circuit isn't really going to make much difference in the scheme of things but if you take people through a workshop and, and you teach them how to train and, and why they should train and the important elements of it um, yeah I, th- I think people respond better to that and, and I think that helps them a lot more as players than yeah just making them run around then anybody can make you worn out and throw up but only a you know a, a decent coach is actually going to make you better yeah I, gu- I guess uh, what we would do if I if I were to participate in your camp and you approached it like that I would take what you brought to the camp the 
the sort of the knowledge side of it and then design my own uh, uh, gut wrench and puke up uh, yeah. circuit routine that, that would work for me based on that knowledge. Is that kind of what you're getting at? And that, yeah, exactly. That, that that's a huge part of it. Everybody's individual. There's there's you know the, the fitness programs that I write and, and the athletes that I work with. You know, everybody's got their own individual elements that we bring to it. Everybody's got different strengths and weaknesses. So again, on a camp, I'll, I'll introduce a topic and we'll talk about that topic. But then I'll make sure that I'm available for the rest of that weekend to sit down and chat with people one on one, so they fully understand. Um, what they need as an individual because yeah you know what what one person needs a, a 55 year old guy who's been planning his whole life is going to be looking at different elements and maybe a you know 15 year old junior that's just getting into the game the, the, the strength and conditioning requirements are going to be very different depending on your age and your level of experience yeah well um, let's talk a little bit about training now that you know now that we've got you uh, got you here this is great um, one of the, I, I saw, I think it was on Twitter, you, you had written one of the critical uh, fundamentals uh, that you stress in, in terms of squash is structuring, uh, training around drills, ghosting, or uh, uh, ghosting sprint interval training and getting stronger in the gym. Mm -hmm. um, could you sort of elaborate a little bit on that for us? So I, th I think that the base of any um, conditioning program, whatever sport you're in, is is to first and foremost get stronger. People kind of forget that, that, that strength is the foundation of, of all other athletic requirements. Anything else that you, you develop in squash, strength is the base. I think as well, the, 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 the first thing working with the strength is to make athletes more robust as well. You know, I have athletes come to me and you know, they want to get faster and, and, and springier and then better condition and all these sort of athletic requirements that they want for their sport but it doesn't matter how how fast and and, and how fit and, and and how explosive you are if you're constantly injured so by getting strong first by getting that foundation of strength by keeping people on the court that that is is my first and foremost priority with an athlete and then everything else is then built on top of that trying to make it as squash specific as possible but the actual base whatever athlete whatever sport they come from I think it's important to build that basic strength first before actually adding in the, the more sport-specific sport stuff on top of that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I personally, I, I took, uh, I played pretty much from the age of 11 up until I was uh, 43, and I took a few years off, and I just got back into it. And the day that I sort of had my first uh, competitive match, the very uh, almost in the second rally, I hurt mm. my uh, adductor. Yeah, and the, and that that's not a muscle I ever ever I don't think I ever focused on strengthening it uh, it in my life, and I, mm -hmm. after it happened I went back and I looked online and I my daughter also showed me uh, a bunch of exercises and since then I always I pretty much do these things I just lay on the ground and lift my leg up and down and do a bunch yeah. of uh, other things but since then I've really really noticed that. Uh, it's much stronger and I don't have those issues. Uh, it's been about a year now um, since I've been doing those sort of uh, relatively what you might call uh, simple exercises. But I think that's yeah. kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, especially if, if you're playing and, and you can only afford to play a couple of times a week and you know, you're getting back into it. The last thing you want to do is pick up a, a little niggly injury early on. So, so getting that strength base and, it's not particularly complicated that that foundation, you know, I, I work with athletes myself, but most gyms, most decent personal trainers will be able to take you through a, a basic strength program 
just basic pushing, pulling, squatting, lifting, just all the basic compound movements. And once they're in place, then yeah, you, you're going to be much less susceptible to picking up those little injuries. And you know, they're the most frustrating thing for most squash players. Yeah. Uh, what would you, uh, if you were to list off like six uh, basic uh, strength, strengthening exercises that would be useful for a squash player, uh, what would you, what would you say they would be? I think it's trying to think it, about it more in terms of, of movements and necessarily specific exercises. So some kind of a, a squatting movement. So that could be a front squat. It could be a back squat. It could be a hack squat. There are various ways that you, you could construct that. You'd want some kind of a kind of a hip hinge movement. Mm-hmm. So that could be something like a, a straight leg, a deadlift, putting something like that in there. Um, and again, as a squash player, you want to kind of build up those muscles around the hips. So some kind of a lunge variant working uh, I like the the Bulgarian split squat or the the rear foot elevated split squat where the back leg is is, is elevated. See them working more on that lead leg. Um, I think it's it's just a combination of, of those movements. Thinking about the muscles that are going to be the ones that you need most specifically as a squash player. And again, everybody's going to be slightly different in what movements they find easier or more difficult. So if you've got some that's quite tall for instance and trying to get them to do any kind of a deadlift movement might be a little bit of a struggle for them so then we'd adapt that and try and get the same the same movement in the body but adjust how we actually set that exercise up yeah would it like a like kettlebells might be uh, an alternative would it exactly yeah it's, it's having all different things in your toolbox so yeah you know i, I prefer to use some kind of a, a free weight but yeah that could be a bar it could be dumbbells it could be kettlebells it could be medicine balls there's, there's loads of ways that you can construct it so again it goes back to what i said about you know any client that comes in you're looking at them as an individual you know what what exercises are going to suit them best what history have they got have they got any injuries any issues that, that affect their movement and how can we best uh, construct this strength program around their limitations. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I had mentioned just earlier about uh, my adductor injury. Uh, Gregory Galche just recently uh, had one, and I think a couple of other players have had them recently on the Pro Tour. Is it uh, obviously it's become more common these days? I hadn't heard of it much in the past, or mm. is it? Uh, common a common injury that you come across amongst uh, the top level players it's interesting I've, I've heard as you say a few players coming coming in with adductor injuries i used to work a lot in professional football and it's very common in there the, the adductor injuries there because of the, the kicking of the ball and the tackling and the sort of movements there um I think, I think any area around the hip as a squash player, whether it's hip flexors, adductors, abductors, extensors, there's all those muscles in and around the hip. And squash is such a multi-directional, explosive sport. There's so many forces going through that area that, that all of the, the muscles surrounding the hip joint are going to be susceptible to some kind of an injury. And that, again, ties back to making sure that you're robust enough to avoid that and also making sure before you play that you're warming up, you're, you're mobilizing so your body is then ready to, to receive those forces as, as best it can yeah uh speaking of warming up um that's something that uh invariably uh, i mean i've been doing a lot more of it lately but uh, if i sort of uh if i don't pay much attention to it maybe it's just a two or three minute quick warm-up uh i always hurt something uh how long would you recommend uh before a match uh and after a match how long would you recommend warming up uh and then what type of warm-up like what i'll do is uh i might uh, jump rope for 
two or three minutes, step on mm. the, uh, the, the bike for like five minutes, do some, uh, some stretching, the adductors, the, the back, uh, uh, other stretches. It might take yeah. 15 minutes in total. I think again, you're probably going to get me get bored of me saying this, but it, it, it's very individualized. That the, the warm up yeah. is going to be what works for you. I mean, you look at someone like Nick Matthew; he goes through like a 40, 45 minute routine, doing the same things every time. He's very specific with what he does. Other players, you know, might just do 20 minutes of, of quite general stuff. Um, you know, if, if I'm working with a group, generally the warm up we would use would normally last around about 20, maybe 25 minutes, depending on the, on their level of conditioning. Yeah. Um, I think what, what, what you do specifically in the warm-up is less important than the structure itself. So the structure of a warm-up that, that, that I've always used is making sure that you start just with a very light, so what we call an, uh, an initial pulse raiser. So that could be a little bit of jogging. It might be a bit of side-stepping, even a little bit of light skipping. So doing that for a few minutes just to sort of start raising the body temperature, start getting a little bit of blood flow around the body. Yeah. Once you've started that, then the second section then becomes what we call our, our dynamic flexibility or, or our mobility to so trying to move away from just sort of static stretching doing sort of dynamic movements so it could be controlled leg swings it could be lunge variants it could be kind of movements around the hip hip circles so yeah. you're kind of increasing the range of motion and, and mobilizing the joints but without just sort of standing there statically you're still moving while you do it and then the third and final section would then go into what we would kind of call our, our secondary or specific pulse raiser, where for a squash player, that might be some short, sharp sprints. It might be some ghosting. It might be some shuttle runs. So it's going to prepare you for the first rally of the game. You want to start that game. Yeah. A little bit out of breath, a little bit of a sweat on. You don't want to take four or five points to get going. So yeah, make exactly, sure yeah. you start the game. Yeah. That, that you're ready to go. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Most people don't warm up as, as intensely as they should. And, Certainly, when we do the squash skills camps, there's always a few shock faces when they when they go through that warm up and realise how challenging it is. But yeah. you know, we mostly find that I, I think that's that's a, a key point there as well. We, we would talk about the warm up as being important for injury prevention, which it, it certainly is. You know, there are certain injuries that that you know you, you can protect to some extent by warming up and mobilising. Um, but there are a lot of injuries that, that just happen. You can't do anything oh, yeah. about you, you turn your ankle, you get hit in the face with a racket. There's nothing you can do that's going to prevent that. So it's trying to think about the warm up as also being a great way to improve your performance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, what, what, I remember, something? I think I, I remember, I think it was on your Twitter feed that you, it was something to the effect of uh, if you're a slow start, starter, you may want to reconsider how yeah. uh, efficiently you're warming up. Yeah, I always say I don't. I don't believe in slow starting. I believe in people that don't warm up properly. I think if okay. if you warm up adequately, then yeah, you know that that slow start it's a it's an excuse. I think if you yeah. if you look at a, a warm up and, and all the research that's gone into that, you know, people ask me, what, you know, what exercise can I do or what supplement can I take to to make me a better athlete? You know, I say if you complete a good quality, well constructed warm up, that will make you a better athlete. That will allow you to perform better. Yeah, I think uh, as well as um, maybe part of the warm up is just getting your your head into the game before the game starts. Uh, you know, you're you're visualizing uh, how you're going to start the match, and then you you get going right away. Without that warm up, you don't have uh, you're not set in that uh, you're not ready to go basically. No, and then that's why you see players like Nick Matthew that that they prefer to use a, a warm up that is familiar to them, so they're not having to to think about the warm up. 
a lot of the players I, I work with, I'll give them a sheet with a warm-up on it. So they just go through that. So they can almost distract their attention away from thinking about, right, what do I need to do next in the warm-up? They just follow the instructions. And then in their mind, they can then start thinking about their opponent, thinking about, you know, what's, what's the tactical approach going to be today? What do they need to think about? What's the focus? So, yeah, definitely a warm-up isn't just physical. It's, it's, it's certainly mental as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, we're talking uh, still on the, this, the training part. Um, you recommended in terms of training uh, that 70, I think this is correct, 70% of it should be done on court, 30% off the court. Uh, so I guess what you're saying is just to, in terms of 100% of, your, of the training that you do, 70% should be on the squash court. That, 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 that's something that's more that I've experienced over the years. I feel, um, you know, those numbers aren't necessarily set in stone, but yeah, about 70, 30. Um, Ideally. That, yeah. I mean, I was, that come from a conversation that was with Adrian Waller that I was working with a few months back and we were just sort of chatting about what he does and, and how his sort of plan works out. And that were the kind of numbers that we generally agree would be for most people. I mean, obviously depend on how much time you've got available to drain, but yeah. Well, I mean, I, the way I was, what I was thinking when I saw the, when, when I was, th what I was thinking when I saw that number, well, that, that's great. But if you're just to sort of, if like me, I'm working, whatever, uh, anytime mm. I get on the squash court, it's probably just to, to play. Right. But if yeah. I do my training, I, I, I guess I could apply the 70, 30 to, if I were training on a football pitch, I could set up the cones or whatever is like a squash court. And then I'd be on the squash court. Yeah, you can certainly get out and do different things. And but even things like mobility sessions, you know, I'd consider that something that would be part of that 30. So, yeah, you might only get time to train on court, you know, three times a week. But certainly on the other days in the evening, you could be doing a little bit of mobility work at home. You could be doing some core work at home. It could be going to the gym and doing some strength work. Yeah, it could be getting outside and doing some sprints. It's you know, it's, it's nice to, to spread your training out mentally as well, just to, just to sort of lose that, that boredom of, of being on court the whole time. If you're trying to get fitter and stronger, you know, just constantly doing court sprints, eventually it's going to get a little bit dull. Yeah, yeah, a bit, a bit dull, a bit tiring. Yeah, and it's, it's just... <laughs> Quite like, even with younger players as well, I talk a lot about trying to do other things, play other sports. I think it's, yeah. you know, if you're a full-time squash professional, fine, but for most... For the rest of us, it's nice to do other things and, and learn different movements and, and get our body working in different ways. It makes you a better athlete all around. The more diverse you can be with your training. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and you, uh, uh, what I really sort of, uh, it's opened my eyes a lot on, on your tutorials on squash skills is your, uh, your balance and stability tutorials. I think you mentioned a little bit about it earlier. Uh, it's an often a neglected part of training because it isn't getting, to me anyways, for, for the squash player, I'm always trying to get my heart rate up there and keep it there and, and push myself. But for the, this type of uh, uh, work, you're, you're not necessarily doing that. Uh, is it an area that you would include as a day of training? Just the, the stability and balance uh, work? I talk about stability and balance more in terms of, of a, a function of strength, you know, trying to work in isolated single leg work to make sure that you're strong enough to lunge in and, and be in a good position to play a shot. So when, when we talk about balance, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, being out of balance on one leg and tightrope walk and, and, and that kind of balance. It's more about being strong and stable. So 
as an example, if you look at two young players, even you know very good players, if you look at under 13 level squash, for instance, um, they sort of bounce around the court. There's there's no sort of movement in, movement out. They're like little pinballs bouncing around the court. Yeah. When you start looking at more advanced players, you know, older players, professional players, you know, the, the movement is a lot more distinct. It's in, it's lunge, it's stabilized, it's back out. So I think that that element of, of building that strength and stability uh, is, is, is important. Um, again, it's going to come down to the individual. If that's something that they're lacking in, then we would maybe spend a little bit more time on it. But yeah, I would certainly have some proportion of, of, of any player's um, workouts being working on, on some element of sort of single leg stability and strength. Um, what would you recommend as being uh, just sort of for, for the average player uh, uh, an advisable sort of balance and uh, agility uh, routine that, that we could do? Um, I mean, there'd be different things. Agility would be more of a, a function of speed and sort of movement on court. Um, basic sort of stability and then sort of single leg strength balance exercises. There's a few that I've, I've done through squash skills. There's one that I like is the, the T-balance where you're sort of on one leg and then you're leaning forwards um, and then raising your back leg to kind of create a T-shape with your body. And then you're yeah. trying to hold that position strong. And it is surprising how hard mm -hmm. it is on that single leg. You start seeing the ankle, the knee, everything sort of having to stabilize and work that little bit harder. Um, so that, that's on that squash video. skills, that video, isn't it? Yeah, we've, we've got a few videos uh, on there of, of those kinds of exercises. But they're, they're sort of what we would call static stability exercises. So it's a matter of building up that kind of strength statically first and then moving into more of a, a dynamic element. So one that we sometimes use is where we're sort of sprinting across the court and then lunging in and just holding that lunge, absorbing that force and holding it and then pushing out from there. So it's a matter of building up from, from a basic level of doing these exercises statically and then trying to make them more and more specific to the game and making them more and more dynamic. And again, it kind of ties in with what I said about starting with a foundation and then building the, the sports specific stuff on top of that. Yeah, I think I saw uh, recently it was Adrian Grant uh, and he took us through uh, some ghosting, his, his uh, approach to ghosting. And in one of his uh, videos, it was a slow motion type of ghost or he, he would move into the front corner and then slowly sort of play a shot and then come back out slowly. Yeah, there's some excellent stuff. I mean, Adrian's obviously a, a, a fantastic athlete. Yeah. Um, some of the other stuff that we've had, uh, some videos on the site looking at how the French players train uh, Gaultier and, and oh, yeah. was we had on, on there uh, a few months ago. And he had some routines. He did just sort of very repetitive stuff onto one leg, just repeated reps over and over again. And that stuff's very good as well. You look at all the French players, they're all very strong around the middle, that one step, that stability. So their approach to, to that kind of training is, is well worth looking up as well because they've got some, some great drills, some great ideas. Yeah, there was. Uh, I think it was Linku. He had his uh, his approach to the the, the quick movement uh, from the tee and then the slow into the ball. I think that was that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Linku is. You know, he was one of the greatest in terms oh, of yeah. movement around the middle. One of the greatest of all time. So yeah, you know, I've got my approach of of, of doing the stuff that I do, but looking at some of the stuff that the French guys do again, it's it's really good stuff. It's it's you know, for for you only have to look at those guys to see how how effective it's been. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll take a look at that again. Uh, now you, uh, recently I saw you on a spinning bike on, on Twitter there and, uh, I do a lot of, um, sort of traditional pyramid bike sprints. Uh, you know, yeah. you start from 
30, 60, 90, and then you bring it back down. Uh, what's the difference between the two, the spinner, the spinning bike and, and like a traditional pyramid uh, routine that, that we know uh, for squash? Or is there a difference? Most, most spinning classes, the, the intervals are all over the place. It might be a couple of minutes on and then a rest. It might be a short, sharp burst. And spinning classes are great fun. You, you can get in there and you can have a, a workout and someone else is controlling it and you've got the music and, and, and the rest of the people in the group. So some people like that, that way of training. Um, and some people like just doing their bike sprints on their own, whether that be with a normal exercise bike. We try and use the Watt bikes a lot that a lot of gyms have got now because they replicate kind of outdoor cycling a lot better so they're they're very very good for squash players um I, th I think bike stuff in general is good because it's it's non-weight bearing it's not like running and sprinting where there's always going to be that sort of pressure and, and impact on the joints whereas with with a bike-based exercise you're kind of taking that impact away but you're still working the important requirements you're working that kind of intermittent um interval kind of uh endurance system that, that that you're training but you're also getting the benefits of the of the sort of strength endurance in the legs as well so we use a lot of sort of bike based sprint stuff um, as a really useful supplement to the to the on-court stuff yeah yeah the um I'll, I'll tell you what i what i typically do i have two versions of, of the bike sprints i do the the pyramid which which we yeah. all know and then i also have another one and i i sort of created this myself and you might think i'm maybe way off with it but uh, <laughs> I do a 30 seconds uh, sprint uh, maybe like level 13 or 14 and then mm. 30 seconds rest 30 seconds sprint 30 I do 15 of those and then um, a two minute rest and then I try to do that three three sets of that uh, what do you think <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's a, a great introductory session and, and I've used very similar things myself I think that the key there is, is to think about how you would make that more difficult. So the things that you could change there, you could make the work period longer. You could yeah. make them being more intervals. So instead of doing 15, say doing 20, um, or you could, you know, try and work faster on the 30 seconds. But the one that people often don't think about, and, and that I would normally use as, as my first way of making that session tougher, would be to reduce the rest periods. So right. I use a very similar session, but with the pros, instead of doing 30 on, 30 off, um, we do 30 on, 15 off. Mm -hmm. So you work flat out for 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, like typical rally, you know, as, as, a, as a league player, you know, 30 seconds yeah. is about the time of an average rally. Um, and then the 15 second recovery, that's, you know, by the time in between the point, you go up and pick the ball, the ref calls the score. So it actually makes it really squash specific, 30 on, 15 off. It's a, it's a brutal session. And yeah. again, we would do exactly that, about 15 reps, depending yeah. on, on the conditioning, two minutes recovery back on and if you can do that for, for five sets you've basically replicated a, a game of squash uh, on the bike yeah oh ex exactly that's sort of a i had a sean moxham on the podcast a, a a little while ago and he was telling me about david palmer yeah. doing the five five beep tests complete, oh. completed we were talking about this the other day yeah i mean that, you know, uh, he said it was uh, yeah he was there to witness it so he would have gone to, yeah, I don't know what level he was getting to. I heard somewhere about 13, 14 he would get to. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, repeat that five times. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. Getting that high on a bleep test for most people is, is difficult enough just doing it once. But to get to that kind of level, rest for a couple of minutes and then do it again and repeat that five times. I mean, yeah, Palmer was one of the, the most amazing athletes the sport's ever seen. Yeah. And again, going back to what we said before about sort of mm -hmm. warming up mentally as well, to, to do that kind of a workout mentally takes so much strength. It's a, 
yeah, it's not something that, that I've ever done with any athletes I've worked with. It <laughs> takes a very unique individual to be able to, to get through a workout like that. Yeah, he was saying that uh, he didn't let, you know, when I'd, I've done the beep test uh, lazily, I, I would have walked the first uh, few beeps. But yeah. uh, he said he gave him a specific number that he had to uh, complete even during the, the, uh, the, less, uh, the less difficult stages of the bleep test. Yeah, so sort of make him working hard from the start. Yeah. Uh, the, the bleep test, you know, it's, it's one of the most popular endurance tests, but it's also a good little workout in itself. We often yeah. use it on the court. So instead of working, you know, a traditional beep test would be two lines that are 20 meters apart and you work between those in time with a beat with a squash court because the squash court is about 10 meters long so going to the wall and back is pretty much the same as it would be by doing one complete length uh, if you're doing the proper one outside so the the, the, the blip test can be adapted on court and yeah. that can be quite a useful way of seeing your, your squash specific fitness I, I generally find that the numbers aren't exact but we normally find you get around about four levels lower indoors than you would do outdoors so as an example I, I did it with, with Adrian Waller recently um, he typically gets between about 15 and 16 on, on the usual bleep test but when he does it on the court he's looking to get between about 11 and 12 so that sort of four level difference is fairly typical for most players yeah Adrian's a big fella uh, uh, as well uh, um, what uh, so I guess with with your training with him you must focus uh, quite a bit on agility and and things like things like that to help enhance his uh, his movement on court yeah, I mean, all the players I work with, that that's a big part of it. I, I like getting them on court, doing them speed, agility, um, getting them lighter on their feet. And yeah, when, when you're working, I work with a few big guys, Walla, um, Josh Masters, there's a few of those boys that are quite big. Um, and, and the speed of the footwork, I think, is, is even more important for them. Um, right. We do a lot of, sort of ladder drills just to get the feet going and then and it's on court. It's, I think as well, it's, it's making the, the, the quality high. When you're working on elements such as speed and agility, you don't want to be wearing yourself out. It's not an endurance session. It's making the exercises short and sharp, good quality, building a good, you know, yeah. get, getting the technique of the movement down more than anything else. More efficient uh, movement. Exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, when you're that size, you, you've got to make sure everything you do is economical, efficient. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the sort of speed agility stuff is is important for all players but particularly for those those larger guys yeah adrian seems to move very well for a guy his size uh a guy like james wilstrup he doesn't seem to move as well but he moves more efficiently i think yeah i mean again it comes back to individual approach i, I can only say I've, I, I've not worked with james but i haven't worked with adrian um he's he's a fantastic professional i mean he he, he dedicates him, himself to to anything if he's trying to improve uh, an element then he will focus 100 percent on that and you know he'll talk about very minor details about you know is the foot gonna step this way first or, or when should we initiate the movement and yeah i mean i, I learn as much from from working with adrian as, as i'm sure he learns from me he's he's such a great professional um and yeah you, you really see of, of guys at that level how much minute detail goes into to getting that extra two or three percent out of themselves yeah absolutely yeah I, i've always been impressed with his with his movement and uh hopefully yeah, hopefully soon he he take, makes that uh turn make makes the the next level i think he's not that far off uh, i think he certainly will I'm, I'm certainly expecting next season especially after having such a great commonwealth games i think he'll really push on next year now yeah um now you give uh some great 
feedback on dieting as well, I've noticed. Uh, not necessarily feedback, but you, you provide a lot of information on it. And you don't, it seems like you're sort of on the fence. You, you, you appreciate people who take a vegan diet, but then uh, uh, you don't necessarily say that's the way, way to go. Um, I mean, what, what do you, what's your take on uh, squash, squash dieting? You hear about, you know, someone like Peter Nickel, who we all respect as, you know, arguably one of the greatest of, of all time. Uh, during his prime, he, uh, he seemed to say that uh, life, life on tour was too hectic to sort of pay too much attention to diet. I guess he used a bit of common sense is what he was saying. What's your take? Uh, I, th I think it's, it's using diet, um, as another performance enhancing tool, it's remembering that, that as a squash player, you, you need a certain amount of energy. You, you need a certain amount of carbohydrate of calories to power you through your workouts and, and to get you through games. I think it's yeah. difficult to, to try and reduce your calorie intake. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a player that's using squash just as a bit of exercise and you're trying to lose a bit of weight and get into better shape, then yeah, you, you can sort of diet and restrict your calories. But most players I work with, you know, you, you need to be taking in a, a, a relatively significant amount of, of calories just to get you through the training. You know, it's you don't see many squash players that are absolutely sort of ripped to shreds and, and really, really sort of low body fat and, and really cut up in the same way that you might see with, you know, sort of bodybuilders and everything else. And that's because most players do have to eat a lot of calories um, just to power themselves through the, the, the sessions that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I'm uh, when I'm thinking about food and diet, I'm not necessarily uh, getting bent out of shape about what I'm eating. But I, I do try to eat a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables, uh, uh, avoid junk food. But sometimes it's hard to do. It's 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 trying to look at what you eat, and it's not just about how much you eat. It's it's the content. It's it's even the timing. There are different things to consider. Um, you know, the players I work with, we often go through a process of doing a food diary where they'll just write out everything they eat for three or four days. And then we go back and look at that and say, right, what, what can we change? What can we tweak? I'm, I'm not going to be obsessive in terms of measuring exact calorie intake. That, that might work for some people, certainly. But in my experience, it's more a matter of getting that balance of, yeah, you, you want to be able to eat and, and enjoy the food that you take in. But it also has to serve the function of giving you energy. It has to serve the function of helping uh, repair your body and your muscles after you train so your protein intake and, and things like that um, and I, you mentioned previously about the the sort of vegan diet and that's one of my issues with with a vegan diet for an athlete is that it is difficult to get enough protein in through a vegan diet and you know I'm, I'm all for vegan diets for ideological reasons and I've got huge respect for, for people that undertake a, a vegan diet in, in that sense but as an athlete um, yeah, you can do it as, as James Wilshop has shown, but it does take a lot more work, a lot more diligence to, to get all of the required nutrients uh, if you're following a vegan diet. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Gary, I was just wondering uh, before, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, before we uh, finish today, is what, what do you have, uh, what's on your plate uh, coming up over the next little while in terms of uh, squash skills? What do we have to look forward to in terms of your uh, your video your tutorials there anything new well, coming, coming towards the end of the season now um so i know we've got a few more i think laura masara has done a bit for us on on squash skills we had a few of those videos going out we've, we've, we've got some great technical stuff on there but as we come to the end of the season now we're going to start shifting into the summer so for me that means you know getting to work on some of the the sort of uh, off-season training programs and some off-court training 
Yeah, or well, off season. Yeah, I mean, some of it will still be on court, but more in the sense of you know training over the summer and getting the bodies ready for for next season. This is this is the time when I tend to see most of the players the most. This is the time when we get on court for you know sort of once we get to the to the mid June July kind of time, and, and we're really working on developing the conditioning and really pushing hard. Uh, you know, ready for the start of the new season so for me it's one of my busiest times and it's one of my most enjoyable times as well because we get a good a good block with, with with the players without having to worry too much about tournaments and leagues and everything else getting in the way right on well uh gary thank you so much for uh for coming on to the podcast uh, i know I, i'm going to be following uh uh your your tutorials that are upcoming i, I do uh, a lot of 400 meter sprints so i'd like to see uh something uh on there how how i should approach that in terms of time we've got, some, got some videos coming up actually we've, we've we've looked at doing some some track videos we've got one or two on squash skills but that's something that i'm going to be putting a few uh few features out on soon so i'm sure you'll enjoy those i will uh gary thank you so much for 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 everything and i uh, hope we can do it again soon jethro mentioned uh having uh, you and, and him on at the same time yeah, be a pleasure. I look forward to it. Jethro talks a bit more than me, but I'll try and get a word in it, Rose. <laughs> well, that would be a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Gary. Thanks, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, uh, Gary, for that great chat. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there that we can, uh, you know, as squash players, uh, take in and take with us uh, and see uh, what we can do with our own training. Uh, I know I'm going to, uh, the last few weeks I've... Uh, up the ante so to speak i even uh, tried the 30 seconds 15 seconds rest on the bike uh, routine i did that on thursday i did three sets and at the end of the third set i i was all i'd say almost completely spent although i may have been able to to uh, to do a fourth but i think i'll keep it at three for one more go and then go to four but anyways that's the kind of stuff uh we appreciate from squashskills.com they give us a you know some uh, uh, a place to uh, sort of jump off and then we can uh, tweak uh our training uh, as uh, as it as it fits uh, where we are in terms of our our own personal uh, strength and conditioning but uh, thanks again gary for coming on to the podcast uh, i love that chat and uh we do hope that we can get you and Jethro on, and uh, I'll have a word with Jethro uh, beforehand just to make sure that uh, you know he does let you get uh, a few words in because we do want uh, you know both the the technical side and the uh, the squash and strength uh, uh, fitness training a voice to come out on the on that podcast when it does come uh, to fruition. Uh, and thanks to everyone. Uh, for listening uh i do hope you're playing some good squash these days uh, i've got a game later on today so uh hopefully that goes well and uh we've got some upcoming episodes this week we uh, we've got we've got martin heath coming on to the podcast and uh later on in the week andrew schnell is going to be on the podcast so we're looking forward to that and we've got some good ones uh after that as well so uh keep on listening uh keep on uh, commenting and thanks so much uh, everyone have a great day Goodbye now.